Lord, this is your word. And there are deep, deep wells here. We know that we can't reach the bottom of it or the heights of it. Lord, we ask then that you would help us to really see and understand these things. By your spirit, would you bring light to our minds and hearts? Produce in us, as we sit before your word, a desire then to follow you. Would you deepen our faith now in Jesus' name? Amen. This is Hebrews in chapter 5. I want to pick up here the tail end of last week. So I'll begin in verse 9 as this talks a bit about Jesus, and that will carry us then into chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. And being made perfect, he, this is Jesus, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of God. Now, we're continuing our read through the book of Hebrews, and you'll remember if you were here with us last week that the author of Hebrews has just brought us into a teaching about Jesus, specifically as high priest. And Jesus as high priest is very important to us. It will take the author all the way until chapter 10 to say all that he needs to say about this. This will consume almost half of his time in the book to discuss Jesus as high priest. And so he's told us in the previous verses that every high priest is from among men. He's one of us. Every high priest acts on behalf of men. So he's separate from us in that sense, our representative before God. And every high priest makes offering for sin to atone for the wrath of God against sin. 
all of this finds its truest form in Jesus. He's called here the great high priest. So he's talked generally about high priests, and now the author begins to teach us specifically about how Jesus fills this high priestly role. So he shows us how Jesus as a high priest is one who is without sin himself. Jesus as a high priest is appointed by God the Father. Jesus, our high priest, is eternal salvation for all who, who obey. And Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. And at this moment, then, you can hear the author pause. He's got the ball rolling telling us all about these high priestly things, and he wants to keep going now as he's, he's mentioned the word Melchizedek, this Old Testament figure. Uh, he wants to keep going, uh, but something is in his way. He has to stop. You'll see, it, he'll pick up this idea in talking about the Old Testament figure of Melchizedek again in chapter 7. You can see it there if you look in your Bible. And we'll get there. But not yet. Why? Why not yet? What is standing in the author's way? He says so. He says this in verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. You have become dull of hearing. He says here that this teaching about Jesus and his relation to this Old Testament figure, Melchizedek, is challenging. But the barrier that stops the author from talking about it is not because the teaching is hard. It's because the people are hard. Their listening is hard. It's because you are dull of hearing, he says. So before the author can continue in teaching us, he pauses to scold us for our immaturity. Now, to be scolded by anyone, but especially to be scolded by the Word of God, is never fun. It hurts. But we want to receive this. The author really cares about us here. Remember, he is working to help us hold fast to our confession. He's working to help us draw near to the throne of God with confidence through the power and grace of Jesus. And it is actually this grace of Jesus that leads him to rebuke us. And so we want to listen to him here. The Proverbs are full of things like this, so I could go to many places, but especially one in Proverbs chapter 15. Here's the last three verses of the chapter. The ear, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humili humility comes before honor. 
In other words, if you want to be wise, if you want to be wise in the things of God, you need to take this to heart. Don't just ignore this and and prove your ignorance. We want to be shaped by this rebuke. So now in our time here, we're, we're going to ask three questions, specifically of this text in Hebrews, that will help us to be shaped by this. The first question is, what does it mean to be dull? The second is, what does it mean to be mature? And the third is, how do we move from dull to mature? So there's where we're going. What does it mean to be dull? What does it mean to be mature? And how do we move from dull to mature. Let's take up this first one. What does it mean here to be dull? The author specifically says it's not just dullness, but it's dull of hearing. And we're intelligent people here. You know that this is not just about our ears or or hearing impairment here. This is not something that just comes with age. Age has very little to do with this. You know, age is not going to make you dull of hearing, nor will age necessarily make you mature. A young or an old person could be dull of hearing. A young or an older person could be made mature. Dullness here is an antonym. It's an opposite, a contrast to maturity. So this is that dullness is a particular kind of spiritual immaturity. The author, for clarity, will use the word again for dull later in chapter 6. Where is it? Verse 12, he says, So that you may not be sluggish, says my translation here, sluggish, or so that you won't be lazy or slothful in the things of faith. That's why some translate this part. You don't even try to understand. And the example that he gives of the dull person is comparing to food. He says that you you ought to be able to bite into solid food. In fact, the King James calls this strong meat, which I kind of like. You ought to be able to bite into the strong meat, but you are only able to take milk. Because you're like babies. Now let me be clear here. There is nothing wrong with milk. And I say that especially as kind of a lactose intolerant person. We like milk, literally and figuratively here. Um, Milk is good, especially milk is good if you are a baby. And this is true even spiritually. So you know that Jesus describes a a Christian's entry into Christianity. When we're first part of the kingdom of God, he describes us as being born again. There is a rebirth that happens in us. So every Christian, whether you can remember this moment in your life or not, every Christian at some point in our lives is a spiritual baby meaning we need milk. It's good for us. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 1. He says this, So put away all malice 
and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, here it is, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Spiritual milk is good for us. It's part of tasting the goodness of God, but it is also not meant to be our life's diet. Milk was designed to grow us up into salvation in Jesus. We need both milk and meat. But this is not happening for the listeners of the book of Hebrews. They've had plenty of time to grow. I mean, the author says, by this time you ought to be teachers. But he says, you have become dull. In other words, this has happened over time. You are not growing toward maturity. Your growth is, is stunted because you are drinking milk for breakfast and lunch and dinner and for a midnight snack. It's milk after milk after milk. And this is a serious problem. In fact, it's a pretty common problem. Even in the first century, Paul talks about this in his first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready. You're still of the flesh, for there's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Their lives are being affected then by what they're taking in, which is just milk. And this milkiness is a problem. So, what exactly is the milk that the people keep drinking? The author of Hebrews is a little more specific here. He calls these things the basic principles of the oracles of God. Or later in verse 1 of chapter 6, he calls them the elementary doctrine of Christ. And he gives us a whole list of examples. Faith, repentance, matters of baptism and prayer and resurrection and judgment... These are some of the building blocks of the Christian faith. You know, this is the Apostles' Creed kind of stuff, basic things that we ought to know. And if they sound good, that's because they are good. These are good things, but they're also, they're, they're called a foundation here, so we need them. But we don't want just a foundation. I mean, how silly would it be if a builder of a house says, you know, come see what I built. And, and, and we go and look, and he says, look at my house, and it's just a cement slab. If a person says, I just love Jesus, or I just believe in Jesus, that's something. 
That's good. It's a foundation. But if you ask that person then to tell you something about Jesus, tell me who Jesus is, tell me what Jesus has done, tell me why Jesus is life for us, and, and then they give you a blank stare, or they mumble words that they heard somewhere on the radio about this, that person is immature. And if they are not a brand new believer, that person then is also a dull hearer a sluggish Christian. And we don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Some will point out, you know, Nathan, listen, but the Apostle Paul, didn't he say, I've determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified? And that's true. But Paul does not mean that sentence in a very simplistic or milky way. If he meant it like that, he would have just stopped writing. Jesus Christ and him crucified, the end. We wouldn't have all the rest of the New Testament, and it'd be much shorter. We could fit it all on a post-it note and stick it in our pocket, and boy, wouldn't that be handy. But we know that Paul believes that Jesus Christ and him crucified is the center of all of our life. It is the fountainhead from which everything flows, and because of this, we want to learn and know all we can about Jesus so that we will learn to follow Jesus, so that we will share the truth of Jesus, so that we will mature as Christians and not be dull. So and that brings us to our second question. What does it mean, then, to be mature? First, let's talk about what it's not. It's not a necktie. But that, that'd be the easy way. You can put a necktie on, and you're mature. And it's not, you know, get a haircut and, and sit up straight and, and don't have any fun. <laughs> it, it, is not, it, it does not mean leave everything from your childhood behind. We can be mature and, and still play hopscotch, still enjoy bashing trucks up against each other and playing with dolls, uh, still, still dress up and still really enjoy those crazy straws. Those are fun. You can see the liquid going all, all, all through it. These sorts of things just really have nothing to do with spiritual maturity. In fact, they have very little to do with maturity in general. There is a big difference between being childish, which is immature, and having a childlikeness. There's a difference between childish immaturity and childlikeness. Childlikeness, in fact, is, is often good, even praised in the Bible. Jesus himself, with a child right with him, says, one who is like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven that we would want to be like children in some sense, that we're humbled before Jesus, that we bring him nothing, that, that we are totally dependent upon Jesus, that we just enjoy being in the presence of Jesus. That's a good childlikeness. So this maturity is not just about acting like an adult, you know, 
don't cry and, and pay your taxes. The clearest description of what he means by maturity here is in verse 14. Let me read it again. You can look with me if you wish. Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The mark of this sort of maturity is an ability to discern between good and evil. Now, some people, when they read this or hear this, might say, well, wait a minute. Don't most people already know the difference between good and evil? I mean, isn't that just called common sense? No, it isn't. That's something different. Common sense is a set of usually very practical things that, that a group of people think everybody ought to know. And usually they use those common sense things to criticize people who don't know those things. Uh, but these common sense issues are, are how to live in a civilized society. But these are not about knowing good and evil at all. Knowledge of good and evil is not just common knowledge. If we leave a child to his own, and we don't teach him a knowledge of good and evil, he will not grow up naturally with that knowledge. If you think people can naturally discern what is good and evil at our core, all we need to disprove that is to look at changes in culture across time and places. I mean, what is, what is often seen as good or common or acceptable in one time is seen as bad in another time. Or, or what is viewed as bad or unacceptable or taboo in one place is good or even praised in another place. And most people, in sifting through these things, just think mine is the right one. My time and place is the right one. But we can't all be right about this. This means either one of two things. Either there is no absolute good or evil, and everything is all relative and up for debate, and it's just kind of contextually applied, or there really is a good and evil, but we are poor discerners of which is which. And that's what the Bible teaches. There is a good and evil, but we are poor discerners of which and which. We are by nature immature in this. We must then be trained in maturity to have wisdom in discernment. We must learn this. So Adam and Eve had to learn it, and King Solomon had to learn it, and mysteriously even Jesus as a child had to learn it, which means even you have to learn this. So just like a mature writer takes the basic principles of the ABCs and words and grammar and learns to craft a novel on that foundation, 
or just like a mature musician takes the do, re, mi's and the structures of music and learns to sing a beautiful cantata based on that foundation, so also a mature Christian takes the basic principles of the oracles of God and the doctrine of Christ and learns to distinguish good from evil based on that foundation. Now, how do we do that? How do we move from being dull hearers who just take the same old basic milk over and over to mature believers who can distinguish then good from evil? If you've ever been on a playground, or middle school maybe is the prime spot for this, it looks different in adulthood, and someone calls you immature. You know, preteens, that's like the ultimate insult. That's so immature. It does not prove your maturity, your maturity to say, nuh-uh. I mean, I want to say that. Maybe reveal some of my own immaturity. I want to go, nuh-uh. But that does not show how mature I am. Nor does it prove my immaturity as an adult if someone calls me immature to just dismiss it. Or to make a joke about it. To say, oh, it's no big deal. It is an expression of maturity to receive these things. To try to continue to grow in our maturity because we all really want to grow in this. So how do we grow from milk to meat? Literally, when we uh, started to do this with Eliza, transition into solid foods... Oh boy, many of you who did this as parents, I'm sure, remember those days. It was scary. I mean, one day she's drinking, it's beautiful in some ways, but she's drinking milk, but now, like, solid food. And I remember sitting at the table, Laura and I and Eliza, and, and, and watching her sometimes gag on something she's trying to chew. And, and uh, you know, a part of me as a dad just wants to like jump in and fix it, like scoop it out with the finger, like get it out of there. You know, I gotta stop feeding her these sorts of things, but, but I can't, I can't stop. Because if I, if I stop giving her solid food at all, she will never learn. She will never learn to chew, she won't learn to swallow, she won't learn to digest these sorts of things, so we can't stop, and that is exactly what the author of Hebrews and God does for us here. He continues to feed us. He says at the beginning of chapter 6 that we're going to go on to maturity and then by verse 3 he says, and this we will do if God permits. In other words, listeners, you have been living on milk, but I'm going to give you meat anyway. He might have paused his discussion about Melchizedek, but he hasn't gotten rid of it. He's going to come back around to it. He's going to dive back into that strong meat. In fact, the very fact that they are immature means he needs to do this so that they'll be trained. Too often in Christian circles, we see 
uh, Christian preachers and teachers who are trying so hard to meet the people where they are, which is good to some degree, but trying so hard to meet people where they're at that they end up just feeding them milk again and again because that's where they are. And if that happens, the people then will stay where they are. But the author of Hebrews and the authors of the whole Bible don't want that. They say, no, no, we want you to grow up in Jesus. So, so here's the meat. Here's how to chew this meat. I want you to, even if you're still, still young, on the young end for this, I want you to go for it. We've heard it said, and I think this is true, that the Bible does not give us small truths to grow out of but rather gives us big truths to grow into. Which means, if you sometimes feel like parts of the Bible go over your head, good. It ought to be that way. That happens to me too. That means you have room to grow. If you sometimes feel like it is work in some ways to understand certain Christian teachings, maybe even Christian sermons, good. Lean into that work. That is a chance then to actively seek understanding, to learn to, to chew the strong meat. So don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't let those feelings lead you to returning back to the milk because milk feels safe, because milk doesn't make me feel stupid. No, move forward. Sink your teeth into the strong meat. In fact, ask questions. Return to these things again and again and again if you have to. Look over the text. Think about it. Ask of it. Talk with others. Get into a group if you have to to talk about it so that you can together sink your teeth into it. But you should expect all of this to take some time. You should expect it to take effort. The author tells us that that's the case. In verse 14, he says, by the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The image that he's using here is of an athlete who's in a gymnasium literally wrestling, that this will literally look like wrestling. So a wrestler wouldn't just show up to a match and be like, hey, I'm ready. No, a, a wrestler is trained by constant practice. He, he's in the gym regularly lifting weights to build his strength. He's on the mat regularly practicing his skills, and he's repeating these things over and over again to build a habit so that his muscles will remember these things. Christian maturity takes a similar sort of sweat and attention which means we should be diligent, but also be patient with yourself. It'll take time. Just like the junior high boy, not that I was one of these, I was a little, who looks in the mirror and sees a little muscle and gets excited. Don't get discouraged and stop there. Keep going. 
as we persist and grow in our maturity, as we're trained to distinguish good from evil, you will find that this will always, always draw you back to Jesus. Every time. And not draw you back to Jesus in a childish way so that you can drink from the bottle. Draw you back to Jesus in a much deeper way, like a steak that is being seasoned. As we're trained then in this, we will start to recognize that all along in that training, Jesus is actually the one who has been working all of that in us. Jesus is the one who, by his spirit, is growing us into this maturity all along. We'll grow in that as we lean on Jesus. In fact, we'll even do that today as we see his work now, here, as we come to the table. What we're about to taste here at the Lord's table is not milk. This is strong meat. It's just bread. It's just juice. But these are deep things. What is happening here as we receive this by faith is not just what we call a mere remembrance of Jesus. We're not just thinking back to what he has done. What is happening here is that Jesus is feeding us with his body and blood. He is growing us now in this moment into maturity. Jesus is strengthening our union with him here. Jesus is sealing his promises to us here. Jesus is drawing us to proclaim him here. Jesus is giving us his very presence now. He is with us here in a very unique way. Jesus is not here physically, but he is spiritually present as we receive these things. So feed on this strong meat that he would make you mature in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we and I confess our weakness, that we tend toward dullness. But Lord, by your grace and power, would you train us in righteousness? Would you grow our faith to overflowing? Lord, even now, would you set aside these things, this bread and this juice, as holy things? And Lord, would you feed our soul? And we give you praise in Jesus' name.